Balance your trading strategy by adding futures. CME Group helps you manage risk and capture opportunities in all market environments. Capitalize on around-the-clock access to highly liquid global futures and options market across all major asset classes. Just visit your online broker and get started. Plug into valuable educational materials and trading tools and see what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash on the tape. Guy here. You're listening to an audio broadcast of Market Call. That's MRKT Call. It's a daily video series I do with Dan Nathan every Monday through Thursday live at 1 p.m. Eastern. We break down the big market-moving headlines and offer trade ideas. Each week, we're joined by our friends Carter Worth of Worth Charting and Liz Young, that's EY of SoFi, for their investment analysis. So check it out. And if you like it, follow at Market Call on on Twitter and subscribe to Risk Reversal Media's YouTube page so you never miss an episode. What up, peeps? Swizzle here, Dan there. I'm all knotted up because I'm going into New York City for CNBC's Fast Money. That's five o'clock Eastern time. Means if you're out on the West Coast, it's two o'clock. I don't know what freaking time it is in Hawaii if you're watching. I mean, you're probably not watching because you're in Hawaii. But this is Market Call. Today's episode is brought to you, Dan, by CME Group. I love this. Remember that Laird Hamilton thing? I dig that. And there are people on the golf course putting where risk meets opportunity. And our data partners at FactSet, if it weren't for FactSet with all the fancy charts and all the things they provide us with, I don't know if we'd be able to do the market call. But how are you? By the way, it's election day. I know you know that. I Um, do. I already voted. I already voted. If you don't don't vote, you're part of the problem. Keep your mouth shut. Don't complain. But I'm sure all of our listeners and viewers have voted. I voted as well early this morning, right before I went to Starbucks to get one of those um, um, medicine ball things. Oh, really? You're so, so you're all tuned up here. You know, guy, I just, just say something. Our, I am so freaking tuned. I, know, I am I tuned up. Well, we so have we, we have a big afternoon. Once we get done with market call, we're probably gonna do a little podcasting. I know I have one with our main man Rick Heitzman, and then Love we're gonna Rick. do fast money together. And just so the people know, Carter Braxtonworth is sitting on the desk today Wait for second. the full hour on Stop. fast money. What? Yeah, it's not. And, and, you know, Guy, I asked you, I said, you, Carter and I are going to go have dinner afterwards, and you're not joining us. You'd say, you know, I'd love to join you. You said, I'd love to be a part of that, but you know that I just can't do that. That's what you said. Yeah, and then you say you're really strange, and I am strange. I'm, you you know, are strange. I'm quirky as hell. It's not, I just, you know. Well, here, here, you know, here's the thing, Guy. You know, like, we will we will dine without you. We will we will. We have a great kind of, time. Yeah. All right, have let's a better this. time without me than no, if I were not, there. It's just a fact. It. No, that's not true. it. But here's the fun thing about Tuesdays. We do it for CME. And like you said, we all have all the tricked out data from uh, the fact set company. Out. But we also we also look at the markets through the lens of the futures here, mm-hmm. you know, and we got to look at these S&P futures here because it's been a nice two day run here, guy. And we've been talking about throughout um, the last few weeks, you really kind of nailed that mid October um, rally here. And it's funny because, you know, it doesn't feel like we've had the sort of oomph that we had over the summer as far as from that mid-June to mid-August rally. We had about, what, 11% or so into mid-last week, and then we kind of rolled over here. But the S&P, due to some rotations out of mega cap tech, 
has acted a lot better than the NASDAQ here. So you see that declining 200-day moving average. You see that downtrend that's been in place since the beginning of January. Are we going to get through last week's high? And are we going to get back to that downtrend? Because I think both you and I think you'd sell them and then sell them again if we get back up to those. Yeah, I mean, obviously now everybody's talking about, you know, this election being a potential catalyst for the next leg higher. I guess. I mean, I don't think they're going to be any surprises. I think whatever the outcome in, I think, Whatever the outcome is, I think it's pretty much anticipated by the market. But look, I've said that before and I've proven to be wrong. But to answer your question, any rally on the back of this or any perceived rally on the back of a Federal Reserve that's going to pause CPI is such a huge, as big as the election is for our um, for our country, I think CPI is much more important for the broader market. So I'll I'll hold off until we see that number, which I still think is going to be hotter than people anticipate. So yeah, well, we'll we talk about this rally. Yeah. I mean, we'd mentioned the 13th, 14th, and then subsequently Monday, the 17th of October, we thought we said what we thought was setting up. Um, It's been not nearly as uh, dynamic as a rally we saw in the summer, but that, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. Now people are talking about seasonality. I think you throw all those things out. If CPI comes in hot, we're headed lower. It's just that simple. Yeah. So interestingly enough, I mean, if you look at the five-year chart of the S&P futures here, you and I are both in the camp that, yeah, things got a little overdone in the near term, um, you know, a few weeks ago. Again, I've not been that impressed with the rally because it hasn't been with some of those mega cap tech names. And I think both you and I agree that, you know, we've needed to see those things really fall out of bed the way Apple has just done so in the last week since it reported its earnings after it had that initial gap. But you look at that five-year chart, I think you and I both think we're going back towards 3,400, maybe 3,200. I know a lot of, um, you know, real like, 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 Staunch bears think that if we the S&P multiple troughs at 14 and we have $200 in S&P earnings, well, that goes below, you know, the kind of levels that we're thinking about. But again, you know what, near term, you, you know, you, you got to be able to kind of, you know, move around like you got to be able to move your feet because the last thing you want to be doing is pressing a market near those lows. Um, I'll just say this guy, you know, you mentioned the VIX a couple times um, over the last few weeks. We don't throw charts of it up there too frequently, but it just seems pretty simple here. When the VIX gets to 35, you buy stocks. When it gets down towards 20, you Mm -hmm. sell them. Right. And so when you think about this range, I mean, maybe this is just suggesting. And if you look at the next chart here, we overlaid the VIX versus the S&P futures here. If you get a few more ticks lower in the VIX, maybe towards that uptrend near 20, you get the S&P back towards that downtrend. And that's the level, you know, you kind of when the, when these things have made, what, what do these two charts look like to you? That's it. Listen, that's exactly right. And, and I think we've the reason why we talk about the VIX is not for people to trade it. And, and it's not for some instrument that, you know, you can be I, I don't know, investing in, for lack of a better word, it's to have it up so you can exactly see what we're talking about here. When VIX is, and we've talked about this a number of times, the last two times the VIX has gotten to 34, 34 and a half, that's been your opportunity to get long stocks and the air seemingly is taken out of the volatility index and that's happened. Now, you're right. I would submit if the VIX were to get down to 23 and a half, 24, that's going to be your opportunity to get out of stocks. And I think that's going to be proven to be correct as well. So again, we're not advocating trading volatility, but you have to have it up to understand sort of the thought process of the market and to a certain extent, the emotion of the market as well. And real quick, Dan, because this was, we had um, Nouriel Rabini 
on the On The Tape podcast, a special drop yesterday. And we said the first 100 people that left yeah. a review for our On The Tape podcast would get a book. It's unbelievable how many people have left a review. So don't be the last one in line. If you want Noriel's book, peeps, leave a review, take a screenshot, send it to Amanda. You'll get a book. It's just that simple, Dan Nathan. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's a great read, actually. It was a great conversation. So check that out, too. Um, Guy, we just kind of mentioned, you know, the underperformance of late in mega cap tech. We know that most of them did not have good earnings. We know that the guidance was not great. We know that analysts guided or took their estimates down in accordance with that guidance. You look at the uh, NASDAQ 100 futures here. We have a one-year chart guy, and you look at this thing, the bounce off of the lows just in the last couple of days, or take it back to that October 13th reversal day, not particularly impressive here. And again, the one thing I'll just say, and I know market call viewers know this. I've been picking at some of those big cap tech stocks. I bought some Meta. I bought some PayPal. I bought some Amazon. And I bought some Alphabet after they reported here. Uh, again, all of those names contributed to this relative underperformance. You know, If the market were to rally, do I think that it basically probably grabs the baton from those uh, like the rotation that we saw into the S&P probably I, I but but again I think you got to be really careful here because if this thing reverses um you know the Nasdaq will lead the broad market lower yeah i mean the bounce has been not all that inspiring obviously and it's funny cuz Carter talks about uh the Dow Jones and again we're not we're not trying to be um geriatrics here but the Dow Jones has <laughs> completely outperformed the Nasdaq, and it's it's you know for a number of different reasons, not least of which the underperformance of all the stocks we talk about, and now this downturn in Apple. So this has not been a very inspiring bounce at all. And again, this looks like to me is there's going to be another leg higher. And I don't necessarily think that there's anything out there right now, um, you know, short of some detente in Russia, Ukraine, or some yeah. sort of again detente with China. It's going to get these tech stocks moving. So a lot of them are still expensive. And I would submit um, this is actually telling the real story of the market right now, Dan. Yeah, it is interesting. You know, today, though, guy, you know, Apple was lower. Meta, after having a big day, was lower. Tesla was lower by almost 5% mm -hmm. after being down 5% yesterday. And a lot of them have reversed and, and kind of um, Tesla is only down 1% or so now. But Meta's green, um, Apple's green. And, and again, you know, I, I mean, you can keep trying to pick at, you know, Bad stories on the short side, you know, I'm kind of more inclined to kind of define your risk. I, I kind of feel like, you know, near term until we see maybe a little bit of overboughtness in some of those names after an extreme period of oversold. I don't think they're great presses on the short side. Um, but here's one guy. I, I've been wrong on this. Uh, on yields. And this is a really important part of this because when yields also started getting above 4% in the 10 year over the last few weeks, that has really put a level of pressure on, I think, expensive tech stocks, mega cap tech stocks, that sort of thing. If we're finally to see this 10 year break that uptrend that's been in place, you know, since August, it was probably what, 270 or something like that. We just ticked at 421 yesterday. We're down about 10 basis points. I mean, to me, again, I'm long GOVT, um, I'm long calls, I'm playing for uh, lower yields here. It's just yep. been really stubborn. And, you know, at a time, Guy, where, you know, the CME FedWatch tool right now for the Fed FOMC meeting is basically 50-50 on 50 basis points versus 75. Yeah, this feels like, well, it's interesting. So yields are lower today. The TLT is probably up close to one and three quarters percent, if that's the instrument that you look at. And I think to a certain extent, 
that's why the market's rallying. It's taking its cue from yields going lower. But you know, I think yields going lower here is sort of people getting ahead of anticipating whatever happens in this election, and then people potentially getting a little spooked by what potentially could be a softer or not as hot CPI number. I think that's on Thursday. So that's my take. I think yields should go lower, but the reasons I think yields should go lower is because, listen, the economies are slowing down and yields shouldn't be here in a slowing economy, not only here, but across the world. So I do think yields are going to go lower. And what I've said for a while is the knee jerk will be for stocks to go higher, which to a certain extent is what we're seeing today until people come to the realization that yields going lower is not bullish. And that's something that Carter Worth has said for a while, and it's something that Danny Moses on the On The Tape podcast has said a number of times as well. Yeah, I guess where I would differ in that is like if it went to three and a half percent is just some sort of reorientation about the pace of what the Fed is going to be doing. And again, I know Fed mm-hmm. funds is obviously much closer tied to, let's say, the two year. I feel like that's not a disaster. It would probably be a good spot for equities in the near term, especially in an environment where pessimism is still really high. But, you know, one aspect of that guy is like, you know, we talk about this uptrend in the 10 year yield. Look at it in the U.S. dollar index here. Okay, so we're through the 50 day moving average Mm -hmm. and we're right on that uptrend that's been in place since basically the start of this year. I think a break of that trend, we've already broken the 50 day, which has acted as really good support for most of this year. We're going to break that um, that that uptrend and then maybe head back to those kind of August lows or so, which might be very near the 200 day moving average. I feel like that might be a precursor for yields going lower. That's well, the two are going to be listen. The two will be they're linked at the hip, right? I think to a certain extent, the dollar trumps everything in terms of the impact it's going to have. But you're right, here we are right on that trend line. The 200 day moving average probably comes in around 104 or thereabouts, I would submit. And again, this hinges entirely not on the election, but on the CPI number. So if CPI is interpreted as soft, you're going to see a pretty significant move in the dollar and in yields and probably in equities as well. Um, but if CPI comes in in line or slightly higher, I think this trend line is going to hold up. I don't know. So let the let the trend line be your guide. You know, if we start to trade through it uh, ahead of this number, that could be a bit of a tell. But I don't think you're going to miss it. So to try to game it here, I think to a certain extent you're flipping a coin. Although I will tell you, I'm more inclined to be long the dollar here against this trend line than to short it through the trend line. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I'm long puts in the UUP, the ETF that tracks it. I'm sticking with them. The trade's working here. And I feel like this is one where I want to play <clears throat> for a move back towards that 200-day. I, I really do think, again, I, I remain very bearish on S&P earnings. I remain bearish on the global economy. I remain uh, in the camp that the S&P will come back and retrace <clears throat> back towards that 3,400, probably overshooting. You and I have been consistent on that. As traders, we like to think about how we can be opportunistic right? I So I'm still playing for that move lower in yields. And I think that if you do have a number in the CPI that's a bit softer, I know there's a lot of comments in here um, in our chat with people suggesting that Tom Lee's saying it could be softer. I think that any continuation, if we do have a rally tomorrow on the back of, let's say, the election results and the CPI is softer, we're going to rip into, into the end of the week. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And again, I'm not saying you buy you know, that Thursday at 830 if the number is softer, especially if we've already rallied considerably in the last few days. But that's just how I've been positioned. And in that environment, I make money on lower yields. I make money on lower dollar and I make money long. Let's say the Amazon, the Meta and the Google. 
If CPI comes in significantly softer, so a few ticks softer, I think the seasonality will kick in, the pent-up whatever will kick in, and you potentially could see the year-end rally that everybody is craving, without question. It'll be, I think it'll be misguided. I don't think it would be based on any fundamentals other than the fact that maybe the Fed is out of the way. But if you really start to examine what companies are saying and what companies, more importantly, are doing, and that is layoffs, obviously, margins have been coming in. Now, it's not a bullish environment for stocks. I mean, it'll be a bullish yeah. in the short term, but I think at a certain point, again, people will come to their senses. The problem is... You know, now that we're in November, when seasonality kicks in, I'm potentially the back of a softer CPI. Elections are over. You know, animal spirits can take over without question. By the way, we saw it last year as well, Dan. I mean, that rally into December and then into early January did not make sense at all. I mean, it left yeah. a lot of us scratching our collective heads. That last six, seven, eight percent in the S and P was without question a bit of a, of a head scratcher, but it happened nonetheless. And if you were long stocks, you know, you prospered in that. So yeah. can it happen again? Yeah, it could. I, I I don't see it, but it doesn't mean it can't happen. Yeah. I and mean, I guess, you know, market call listeners, viewers will, you know, kind of remember you and I've talked about this a lot. I mean, you know, we're talking every day in markets and we have to be able to kind of keep a broader framework, mm -hmm. but identify what's in front of us, what's happening. And I think that what we do a nice job of is kind of identifying shifts in sentiment right now. And I don't think there's any shift in sentiment from a fundamental standpoint. There might be in the not so distant future as it relates to what the Fed is going to be doing. And that's going to be dependent on the data. But when I think about all the negativity about earnings that you and I thought was going to happen, we thought that some of these big companies were going to miss and guide down and maybe the broad market or at least investors would start to kind of, um, you know, kind of take some profits or, you know, just kind of see what's in front of them as it relates to the earnings outlook for next year. So all that's happened here, but sentiment was really bad a couple of weeks ago. And so what we're not going to do is we're not going to be the guys pressing the lows. That's just not going to happen here. We can keep our broad bearish framework, but we can also identify some opportunities to take the other side of things. One of which guy was gold. And again, you're going to say, well, I had gold wrong a couple of times here, but again, you know, over the course of the last year, you had it really right last year. Okay. And so there's been opportunities to play for some counter trend rallies. And I think you've done a nice job of that. You also thought that you, you know, this double bottom that we've had over the last month and a half or so, you look at the, the gold, this is the gold futures. You look at the move above that downtrend that's been in place. And then if you look at this five-year chart, you know, that's some pretty good support we just bounced off of, right? So what's your setup in gold here? And I know that it has a lot to do with go what's going on with the dollar also. Yeah, I listen, I have no idea. Yes, I mean, dollar's part of it um, without question. I really, I can't tell you what this last move in gold's been predicated on because you know, it's had a number of opportunities over the last six months to bounce on more bullish environment and it didn't. So why is it happening now? I have no idea. Did it hold did it hold levels of support? It absolutely did. And is it telling a story? May, you know, maybe it's interesting. You know, it's somewhat decoupling from Bitcoin. So maybe the Bitcoin move in some ways has been yeah. gold bullish. Again, I have I don't know the answers. I'm sort of grasping at straws here. But what I will tell you is um Gold to me is still something you want to be in. And gold's not a story until it is. And if you look at the mining stocks, and I don't know if we can do this on the fly, but here's the GDX. We obviously can do it on the fly. You know, I think you'll look at this and say, you know, wait a second. 
you know, we made a low then over the last since, I don't know, mid-October or so, we've had a series mm-hmm. of higher lows and it looks like it wants to trade back up to those levels of support. So past, past support becomes resistance. We probably find it in the GDX around 29 or so. But then we're going to start talking about the 200-day moving average coming into yeah. play and can we see levels that we saw in the spring. I mean, the individual names are doing extraordinarily well. I mean, if you look at some of the mining stocks that not associated with gold, a name like Freeport's done well over the last couple of days. So there's clearly something going on. Um, I think you just got to stay with it here, Dan. And it's been a tough yeah. one to own for sure. Here's a, here's a chart of Freeport McMoran right up against the 200-day moving average. So again, just something to look at, a stock that had this bottoming process since the middle of the summer. Yeah. Hey, let's go back to the one-year chart of the, the the gold futures here. If you were in your old seat guy trading gold here and you're looking at mm-hmm. that that really pretty powerful, you know, breakout above that downtrend that's been in place for, you know, over a year and a quarter or so, I'm looking at this thing that was trading, I don't know, 1620, okay, four or five trading days ago. Um, it went through its 50-day moving average. It's right at its 100-day moving average, which is 1720. Yeah. And you see that nice round number of 1800 or so, which was the August high. If you wanted to play this for a continuation, where might you set the stop in the futures, right? If you that were trend line, saying, I mean, that's yeah. it's that's the right question. I mean, your stop is now well, the right stop is those two lows the lows we saw in late September and then the subsequent low we saw in late October, whatever yeah. that level is. I, I don't have it in front of me, but probably no, it's about, it's about 1620 or so 16, here 20 i was going to yeah. say okay so yeah. there you go so that's your first level but if you want to be really <laughs> disciplined the real stop comes in the form of a breakdown through the downtrend line so the trend line we just broke to the upside your stop should be theoretically either those double bottoms or or if you want to be tighter you know more close to that trend line breaking that downtrend line to the downside that's how you play yeah. it but i will tell you that if you want to be really aggressive, this is one of those situations where you can buy into strength as well. So if this continues to go higher, then you can add to a long position. But that's sort of the levered way to yeah. play it. But that's exactly how I would be doing it. Yeah, and I guess the other point when trading futures, and, and again, you and I spent some time earlier in our careers uh, trading a lot of them. I mean, the the ability to set stops, right? And and so, um, you know, makes a whole heck of a lot of sense. It's one of the reasons why we, we look at the charts because a lot of people are looking at a lot of the same levels and we know that stops are placed in um, technical levels here. So to me, you know, when you have a winner in something like that, you can keep raising your stops. Mm-hmm. also which is the other thing so um again i think that's pretty useful you just mentioned um you know gold decoupling from crypto guy and, and i saw you tweet this last night like wtf is going on with bitcoin big downdraft here um amanda put together a nice little hodgepodge of some of the headlines that's going on so um binance this morning one of the largest exchanges just agreed to buy ftx and that one of the other large retail exchanges there seem to be the two ceos of these company pretty famous guys in the crypto space have been beefing a little bit guy and yeah. you know binance um owns a bunch of the stable coin um at ftx which is ftt and it's just been this back and forth and then binance is stepping in now to buy ftx because of liquidity it just seems like a big old-fashioned mess yeah. you know bitcoin 
sold off on this. And, and again, I mean, this is the sort of thing where, you know, you got to think about, okay, this is a huge pocket of interest and exuberance as far as investors last year. It's coming undone right now. You see Bitcoin banging around or this 19,000 sort of level on the one-year chart in the futures. Thoughts on this whole thing? Because again, you know, Danny Moses, going back to our co-host from On The Tape, he's been talking about issues in the collateral for these stable coins for a while and the ability for it to kind of, you know, unhinge this market. Yeah, I, there's definitely more to this story. We're going to learn, there are going to be more chapters written about this over the next couple of weeks in terms of what really happened here and, you know, how this whole thing was set in motion on some random Monday night. But in terms of Bitcoin itself, I mean, we've said this for a while, I mean, Bitcoin has been mired in this range for quite some time. So the bulls will say we're putting in a base here. Uh, and we're getting ready to take or uh, take on the 200-day moving average. The bears will say, this is just a pause before we go lower. Carter's one of those people, and he's been right. Um, I honestly don't have really an idea. I'll say this, though. Again, if you think if you think CPI is – if your premise is CPI is going to come in a lot cooler than expected, I think you buy Bitcoin here with both hands under the sort of the theory that that will take the Fed – off the front burner, put them on the back burner. And again, um, they, things like crypto can go back to their, not parabolic, but their yeah. lower left to upper right mode. So that's how I look at this. Now, again, I don't know, but if you have that belief and if you want to put that belief in motion, you buy Bitcoin here thinking that potentially we can see a soft CPI number on Thursday. Yeah. And I guess the other thing, when you're looking at this five-year chart, though, you also see going back to, you know, kind of 2000, late 2017, when it was right around these levels. And that was the top before the latest crypto winter. You know, the idea of using futures and then again, <clears throat> setting stops and not actually being as, you know, kind of dependent. I know there was a lot of FUD as the crypto people, what does that um, mean? you know, that fear, uncertainty and doubt about oh, having like, your know. coins at some of these exchanges, FUD. if there was a run on them and they were to fail but if you were in a play via futures you could put stops in you get the leverage all that sort of thing so to me that makes some sense only if you are using stops people okay guy let's move on a little bit we only have a few minutes here okay oh, um, before i'm gonna i'm gonna kind yeah. of call an audible here you know where there hasn't yeah. been any fud and this is just going to show you how great jacob and amanda are in in yeah. unison look at a chart of amgen amgn it comes yeah. out and why do i mention that because why you know, we've talked about biotech stocks for quite some time you have We've talked about this one probably being the best in breed, and it was sort of ready to what you call it, Dan, party, and that's exactly what's party. happened. Yeah. So wow. you got your move today in Amgen, and it's by the way, it's not just a name like Amgen. You're seeing new all-time highs in Merck, Eli Lilly, Bristol Myers put up a BMY chart, name we've talked about <laughs> for a while, also breaking out to the upside. So there's been no fud in uh, big cap pharma and some of the associated uh, biotech names back to you, Dan. Yeah, and it, it is interesting for people who tell you that technicals don't matter, they do. When you just saw those charts, I mean, the power of the move on top of the breakouts on all of those names is pretty remarkable here. And a lot of it has to do with the fact, and Carter talks about this all the time, is that, you know, people have memories, right? They have memories of buying stocks at prior highs and then riding them lower. When they get back to, you know, certain levels, maybe they sell. That's why you have that tension at those resistance levels. But when you get through, you have the sort of thing like you saw in Amgen, especially if there's um, 
any fundamental news. Guy, I want to talk about crude here a little bit, and, yep. and I have a trade on the XLE. I don't know if we we snuck this one in on you. I don't know if you saw it in, in our prep here, but you know, I was saying that I don't think crude acts that well right here. I know it's kind of had this little rally, and I know you've been all over the XLE, the large integrated that's primarily you know Exxon and Chevron. You've been pounding the table on those for weeks and weeks and weeks. Also, oil services, the OIH, which has had this huge move. You know, that's up more than fifty percent. The XLE is up more than thirty percent. This is just in a month, and to me, I just think this sets up for a really good trade lower in the XLE guy on a purely technical basis. But I wanted to find my risk here. And I think there's a good chance that if crude were to come in for any reason, maybe it has to do with growth, maybe it has to do with mm-hmm. you know something going on geopolitically. I think you have this XLE testing 80 in the next month or two. So to me, <clears throat> again, I want to divide my risk. I want to play on these technical ranges. When the XLE was traded around 93 today, I bought the December 30th. Okay, that's right for, before year end. That is not December regular expiration. 90.75 put spread. I paid about $3 for that. I bought one of the December 30th. 90 puts for about $3.60. I sold one of the dissect. December 30th, 75 puts about 60 cents. Again, $3 in premium is what I paid. I break even down at 87. I have gains of up to $12 between 87 and 75 with a max gain of 12 bucks below 75 losses of up to three between 87 and 90 with a max loss of three above 90. What I like about this trade idea here is that I'm risking about 3% of the ETF price, break even down about 5% and a max potential gain of about 9%. If the ETF is down, all the way down there at 75 in a little less than two months here. So again, playing off some technicals. I'm playing off the fact that I think sentiment is way too bullish in this space right now. It seems like by the end of the year, investors may be looking to rotate into other areas that didn't work this well this year. Guy, thoughts on yeah. this trade so, idea? So, so yeah. you wear this hat much better than I. I'll ask this question. Are you getting paid enough in the, to sell the 75 puts? to Good question. To, to, and I only ask that because if you're right, um, do you really want to have that? I guess my point is this. I'm, you're obviously offsetting some of the cost of buying the puts for $3.60 by selling the 75 put. I totally get that. And my pushback would be, if you're right, um, do you need to have that on? You know, <clears throat> Yeah, cool. so, so quick way. one. Are you going to want to have done that? And are you limiting your upside vis-a-vis I'm, I'm that per- 75? I'm perfectly fine with it, and I'll tell you why. So here's how I trade these sorts of things, okay? So if this were to drop pretty quickly and let's say go to like the low 80s or so, I would either look to take the whole thing off or take you know, half of it off, that sort of thing. So for me, with selling that way downside put, the likelihood of that being in the money is not particularly great, but it definitely helps offset mm-hmm. some decay as we get closer to expiration. And so I like to use a mental stop of about 50% of the premium that I spent for a long premium trade. So, so that helps me cut. So it's, it, helps me st- it helps me stay in the game <clears throat> a little bit longer here. So again, I'm not going to be waiting for this thing to go to 75 to take a profit either but it's a great question. What do you think directionally here? I know that you are bullish of oil and oil stocks, but is it one where would you be buying this breakout right here or do you like me being a li- little bit contrarian? No, I think I think I like what you listen again, there's obviously a dogma associated with this for me. I I have a pre, I'm predisposed to think you know my thoughts are very bullish in energy and they have been for a while. But if I were to just look at this and I didn't know what it was and put that XLE chart back up and you said this is just a chart of whatever. What would you be doing here? Yeah. I'd say, well, 
you know what? We've reached resistance level. You got to yeah. be taking some money off the table. And if you're really aggressive, you got to be playing for sort of a back and fill, sort of a 50% retracement off that 70-ish dollar low and this recent high. So that gets you to 80. I mean, literally, so all the things yeah. that you've put out there are exactly right. So again, to answer your question and taking my emotion and dogma out of the equation, I think you're doing the exact right thing and you know what your risk is. So I think it's a well-thought-out trade. So we'll see how it shakes out. One of the things I've said for a while, again, not that it matters, I think the next leg higher could be on the back of the elections being over, but that's probably a conversation for another show. To answer your question, I think this is well thought out. I think the risk reward is good, and I think you expressed it in the right levels as well. All right. Well, we'll we will continue to up. By the way, somebody um, said, whoa, deep options versus common question. I think that's millennial market. I love that when people say that I actually am thinking it through because they know that I tend to be not as esoteric and intelligent as you. Yeah. Listen, we love these comments. Just, you know, we're reading them. I and, dig the and comments. And hopefully we'll try to incorporate at least some of your ideas into some of our commentaries we think about preparing for, let's say, tomorrow. So we really do uh, appreciate your participation. All right, Guy, before we get out of here, we got to look at Disney. The report after the close, um, again, an implied move about 8%, yeah. which is not small for a company like Disney. Now, if you look at this one-year chart, you see it was nearly a matched 52-week low. So that looks like a bit of a a double top. It got just barely below that downtrend that's been in place for this year here. You know, maybe it's a pair of twos here. It's a tough one to call. But if you think about the, the, I don't know, I mean, the rally that Netflix had, that was one of the few bright spots, if you think about it, and you call that move here. What do you think is going to happen if, if this company is be able to guide higher. I know that, you know, Shanghai Disney, some of this park stuff and the cruises and all that stuff is still down, but it really is a story about Disney, Disney Plus at this moment. No, well, it's a big part of the story without question. Um, the last quarter, if you remember, the stock, I think, got up close to 130 on what was a really solid quarter and then obviously subsequently gave the entire thing back. What do I think? I think you got to play it from the long side again. I know there are a lot of people that think, how can you do that in this environment? Disney, again, is not immune from the ills that are f facing the consumer and the broader market. I get it. But on valuation alone, you know, if they come in and say anything remotely good, again, my opinion, an 8% move on this stock probably gets you to what, 1.9, 1 1.10? And that takes you right to that trend line. So, yeah, I think you play it from the long side and then see what happens if and when we get there. That's how I'd be looking at it. Fair enough. And just real quickly, guy, looking at a five-year chart of this thing, it just shows the devastation, you know, yeah. from those highs. It also shows all the excitement about Disney Plus. When you see gaps to the upside, it was always because numbers were better. And then some of those gaps lower where they came in and disappointed. If you look at this, you look at that double bottom in around 90. And if you look at that pandemic low in March of 2020, near 80, I almost want to play this kind of like Nike here. So if you're inclined to be long it into the print, maybe you're long like a quarter a position or so because if the stock were to come in kind of hard in that kind of support zone i think you want to buy it in that kind of 80 to 90 range so with an eight handle i got a little cute um a few months ago i was thinking about oh man it really was going to break it didn't have that nice rally two times two de decent rallies here so i guess i'm on the fence i'd be more inclined to buy it on a gap lower but maybe that fundamental news is not the reason why you want to buy it as you say all the time here um, but that's what makes a market guy I, you know something? You sound like G-Swizzle now. That's what makes the market. By the way, um, I just <laughs> want to point out, Rangers, Islanders tonight. 
Uh, Islanders beat the Rangers last, and the Rangers, and I tell you what, they have not played um, what I think has been good hockey all year. So I'm not very happy with what's going on at Madison Square Garden. The Knicks showed up in Minnesota last night. We're draining threes left and right. Somehow it looked like Steph Curry was manifesting himself in a Nick uniform. I know you don't care about that, Dan, and I'm sorry to do that to you people, but that's it for today's market call. I'm headed into New York City, knotted up, purple tie, getting ready. I want to thank CME Group for sponsoring this episode and obviously FactSet for providing all the charts and data. If you enjoyed today's episode, today's video, be sure to hit the link button and leave us a comment and subscribe to Risk Reversal Media. Smash can't believe I'm just saying that. You Smash the like button. Now, typically on Wednesdays, we have Tom Sosnoff of Tasty Trade. Not tomorrow, people. Tomorrow at <laughs> 1 o'clock, we'll be here with Tony Batista. Not the guy that played baseball for the Toronto Blue Jays, so shut your trap. Tony Batista <laughs> of Tasty Trade. Dan, we'll see you then. See you tomorrow. <laughs>